Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah, and I'm alone in my hosting responsibilities today. Uh, and we'll get into that for a second. I mean, it's not because I don't like Byron or something or because he's booted off or, or whatever, but it's because this is episode one of what we're going to call the COVID conversations or the Rona rants or the, I don't know, maybe we'll ask for suggestions as to what we should call this little discussion that we're going to have. Essentially, if you didn't hear in our last episode, we're going to bring back a couple former interviewed pastors. We're going to talk with some new pastors um, and we're going to basically ask the question, what was it like to pastor through a pandemic? What is it like to continue to pastor through a pandemic? And what does it look like to pastor in the future when maybe, hopefully, this pandemic is over? But before we get into that, we got to have a sponsor. All right, so no Byron. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. We are not beefing. He, he wasn't actually even available today, which is partially the problem. But really, we sat and talked about it, and we know ourselves. We know that we like to banter, that we joke around, that we talk a lot. And because we wanted to focus on our guests' stories, we thought that four was too much of a crowd. So whenever we're going to double up on some of these guests, because yes, we actually have two former guests on today, it'll probably be just one of us that is interviewing. And that's it. All right. On the show today, we have two returning guests. Alicia, Hunter, I'm so pleased to have you on the show today. Hello and welcome. It's good to be here. It's, it's great to be here. Great to be back. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is going to be fun. I'm so excited. We're doing something that, I don't know, we could get some mixed reviews on. We're not going to spend so much time having fun doing a how millennial are you? Because maybe 2020 stole the wind out of our wings. I don't know. Or maybe it's just because I'd rather focus on more significant conversations. But I can't lie. I have to have just a teeny, teeny bit of fun with, with you guys. So I'm curious. You both have been on the show in the past. You were in season one. Uh, we interviewed each of you. Then we have had Alicia on as well as part of a panel. And we've discussed lots of things. But I'm going to go all the way back to episode the, the first seasons, uh, season one episodes. Do you remember... What was the most millennial thing about you in those stereotypical little games? You guys remember? Oh, I'm, I'm sure it probably has to do with like buying coffee rather than saving for retirement or how much like <laughs> avocado toast I eat. It's probably both of those things. It's probably avocado toast every day. And I spend more money on coffee than retirement. So you hit That's the one that's still true. You hit the one that I particularly remember is that you were like the avocado toast eater. Like that was, that was a thing that you had done or you regularly would do, or you participated in with some level of frequency. Yes. California born and raised, also a Brecky evangelist, very committed to breakfast. So, What about you, Hunter? Do you remember what your, uh, what was maybe in your opinion or from what you remember your most millennial stereotypical thing? Yeah. So uh, the one that I remember the most uh, is just, is um, watching a video on how to trim my beard. And the only, <laughs> the only reason I remember that is because we hadn't seen each other for like six months and I had grown like, you know, this, this crappy beard that you can see here in, in that time. 
And so, yeah, I, I remember that one sticking out. That one was something that I, I was remembering fondly, but I also remember you were like the Walter White of coffee connoisseur chemistry. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. You, you, had, you had some sort of crazy, and I can see it. I mean, I know our listeners can't see this. We're doing this over Zoom, but I can see some of your coffee paraphernalia behind <laughs> you right now. You're I filled up my chemist. house, and so it's, it's leaked over into my, uh, my church office. So, yeah. Your love for coffee and your love for learning how to do things on YouTube those are what mark you <laughs> as a millennial and so therefore you you can be the millennial pastor guests for today's shows real quick uh alicia let's start with you can you give us a brief explanation and, and i know some of this we're going to unpack further but just tell us who you are where you're at and uh just a brief who i am explanation for our listeners hi i'm alicia and i'm addicted to avocado toast <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I'm a local church pastor in a sweet neighborhood parish in Sela, Washington. That's in like South Central Washington. And I'm new to that assignment just about six months, seven months in. Um, I think previously when I was a guest on the podcast, I was pastoring in a more urban setting in Hayward. That's in the Bay Area of Northern California. Um, so yeah, made a big transition to uh, a sweet, sleepy, small town doing neighborhood church work. And I love it. The people have been so kind, so welcoming. It's like postcard small town life. Like people bake me banana bread and homemade jam and it's great. I'm loving it. <laughs> That's awesome. When when I'm not eating banana bread and avocado toast and <laughs> drinking all the coffee, um, I'm also the co-host of the A Plain Account podcast. That's an online Wesleyan lectionary commentary. Um, so folks who are in both worlds of pastoral ministry and preaching through the lectionary might recognize me from there. What about you, Hunter? So I am a, uh, I'm the creative arts pastor, so like a worship pastor at a church in central Arkansas in the North Arkansas district um, in Greenbrier, Greenbrier Church of the Nazarene. Um, I, that was where I was in, in the last time that I was on the podcast and still holding the, the holding it down. Um, and it's just a, a small community of about 7,000 people. Um, but I do things from worship to now, you know, in the last year, I've begun producing our live streams that we're doing. That's a, a new job description um, that's been added since 2020. Um, and then also, you know, just kind of on top of that, I do, I, I'm pretty involved in our local government. Um, I just kind of do some things for the city. I'm our, our recorder treasurer. Um, it's not hard to get involved in local politics when you live in a town of 7,000 people. So I took advantage of that. I'm pretty sure one of your friends had posted something on some social media that they were going to put you down for mayor of Greenbrier or they're going to try yeah, to Yeah, vice mayor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> vice mayor. That's what it was. Vice yeah. mayor. Well, you have my vote, even though it wouldn't count because I don't live there. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I would I would support that campaign. I, I've asked both of you on today because I find both of your stories intriguing. Uh, I think that 2020 has has shown us some things and 2020 continues to show us some things that maybe we needed to learn. Uh, but in that brief introduction, I hope I hope uh, my I hope our listeners can can hear that you both have had interesting changes that have happened. But there's been some common threads that are interesting to observe. One of you has stayed in the location that you've been for a while now. You've been able to continue to adapt and sort of grow into this new, uh, whatever we want to call it, post-COVID ministry model. The other one of you, uh, you took on a new assignment mid-pandemic. And that's just the kind of mind-boggling. And in having both of these conversations, I think, is very needed right now in the midst of of churches just sort of 
well, I, I think I'm doing this now, or, or maybe they're still scrambling, or maybe they've set on a path of this is how we're going to go forward, or this is how we're going to be temporarily. So in the midst of all the conversations that are still being had with churches around this country, particularly, but around the world, I just find it so intriguing and I want to explore that more. So just for our guests and our, and our listeners, I want to just go over something briefly before we dive further into these conversations. I would love to, to just hear the story of, of all those changes that have happened in your jobs, whether you've stayed in the same spot, whether you've gone into a new spot. I want to hear about just how you personally have dealt with some of the, the craziness that is 2020. And I'm particularly interested in both of you sharing some of what you think is next for the church. There's a lot of discussion around that particular issue about where do we go from here? Are we going right back to what once was? Or are we needing to boldly step into what's new? So Hunter, I'm going to start asking you some of these questions. Obviously, you still have a job and you you address some of what has changed. But I'm curious how those changes started happening. What What's the timeline? You know, when, when did your church and your job particularly start getting impacted by yeah. 2020, by COVID, by whatever it was impacted? When did some of these changes start to happen, though you were able to stay in the same location? Yeah, so... Uh... You know, it all, all began around the, the same time as everybody else. But our first Sunday that we were, you know, that we didn't have an on-site service was March 22nd. I remember because that's my birthday. So it was my, <laughs> on, on my birthday was our first service that we had fully online. Um, and we had nothing implemented, no, no live stream or anything like that already. Um, and so we were, I, I was just remember scrambling for, for you know, we, we, we figured out we basically announced it on, on a Wednesday. And so I had, you know, two days to make something up, but, um, you know, started pre-recording the services and then, then releasing them on Facebook and stuff like that. They went on for several months. Um, we took advantage of that time at our church. We, we had a pretty major remodel and all of that, which, you know, ended up just, it, it was welcome, but it added stress where there didn't really need to be stress. Maybe, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it was exciting that we got done, but, um, in the middle of a pandemic, it was just, you know, kind of compounding everything, all the other feelings that we were having. Um, and it wasn't until late June when we had our first uh, in-person services again. Um, it, may, it may have been July. No, I think it was June. Um, but we continued offering an online option, you know, of course, for those that weren't coming. Uh, and and we, we saw, we've seen a slow trickle, you know, of the of which you would expect, um, you know, of course, of, of, our, our sanctuary is big enough to where we can hold about, you know, 80 people at a time and really spread out like you're supposed to. And um, we've required masks and, you know, social distancing, followed all the guidelines. And Josiah, we were talking about that. It's really kind of really paid off for us. And as, as we've had no spread within our church, thankfully, you know, kind of knock on wood. Um, and uh, it transitioned into actual live streams in October. So all of that kind of, all the live streams and things like that kind of fell on my shoulders. And it was a few months of just uh, trying to figure it all out, you know, learning, learning new stuff, uh, some programs I haven't used, ever used before, um, dusting off the camera, which I've always had, but have never used. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been a fun 2020, uh, compounded with, uh, with, you know, the, the political atmosphere that we've experienced uh, throughout throughout all of that, the politics surrounding COVID, the politics surrounding the election. Um, and, you know, I, I said I was, and y'all know I'm in central Arkansas. And so, um, you know, Arkansas has a, a definite bent to it when it comes to politics. And uh, yeah, I know it's, a, it's shocking. 
And, um, and so, you know, trying to nav- navigate that as a pastor in a community, you know, wh- what's our role? Um, what's, what's our role as the people of God and, and how that's been blurred, especially over the last four years, though, you know, Christianity and, and our political bent has been very extremely blurred. And I think we saw that on January 6th as well. Um, kind of the, the, uh, the dangers of what happens when those two things are blurred. Um, but, but dealing with all of that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Um, there were a lot of nights when I would go to bed and I'd be like, you know, I'm fixing to start looking for something else. I just really don't think I'm cut out for this. But honestly, I don't know a pastor that, I, that I've talked to that didn't feel that way over the last year. Um, they didn't go to bed many nights thinking that. Um, but, you know, just kept kind of chugging along. And here, here I am. I'm not going to say we made it through it. We all know that's not true. But um, 20, we at least made it through the year. So there we go. New year, new problems. That's right. Do you uh, do you think that it was more the pandemic or the political um, opinions or or were they one and the same? Like what was the, the driving force behind maybe some of those sleepless nights for you? Um, you know, I, I, I think that honestly, the, the conversations that I, w- I was having with people regarding, you know, their political stances and, and their beliefs and, and how, how um, staunchly they, they held, held on to those p- political beliefs. I'm, I'm, I'm a political guy. I, I love it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I love, I love diving into it. I like talking about it. Um, but one of the most frustrating things for me over the last year is that, that blur between who we are. You know, are we um, Republicans and Democrats before we're Christians? Are we Americans before we're Christians? Um, or, or, or do we hold the, the, the presence of God in us? Do we hold that before all those things? Um, and I think most of my discouragement came from conversations um, that either one where I heard Christians saying very non-Christian things um, about their own politics, about their own beliefs, um, or when I saw that confusion and it was just this burden of, man, we've really messed up as the church that we, we've, we've led ourselves into this place. Um, you know, it's easy, kind of the evangelistic movement, and this is <laughs> this is actually kind of what I'm preaching about tomorrow, but the evangelistic movements made it to where we look at the world and say, they're the problem, let's fix it. Well, this has shown us, this past year has shown us that we are we are the problem, um, and, and or, or we're at least not helping, we're, we're, we're more detrimental than we are um, beneficial. And so, yeah, uh, th- those, that was the main cause of those sleepless nights was, you know, hearing those conversations from people that I love and respect um, or seeing, you know, if I wasn't talking to them, see them on Facebook or, you know, Twitter or wherever. And that was discouraging. Um, and that, that was probably the main reason why I would ha- was having those nights where I was questioning my, my own call. When, when was that? What time in the past year or so-ish was that uh, kind of reaching a point where you're saying, wow, I actually think we're the problem? Oh man, well, I, I've, I've thought that for a few years now, <laughs> you know, as far as, you know, our, our, not the church, like the big C, but, but how we, how we are living into or how the church is responding right now. Um, I've, I've thought that for quite some time, but I think, I think really I, I started to get discouraged. Um, well, I was ordained in the middle of October and in leading up into that, I was really kind of thinking over what ordination means and it's a lifelong, you know, vocational calling and in the midst of all of that, I was just thinking, man, I, I just don't know that this is that I, I really need to sit down and assess. Is this something that I, I do feel called to for the rest of my life? Um, and, you know, I, I proceeded because I, 
I, I came out of it, you know, after lots of prayer and, you know, kind of thinking about it, that it is, it is a vocation for me. And it is something that I, I do feel called to for the rest of my life. Through all of this, I know you're talking about some of the changes in your specific job duties. Did that kind of coincide with some of your own sleepless nights, apprehensions, or were some of those things external? At what, as, was there a point in these changes where you realized, wow, my job is almost completely different looking back? Yeah. Um, what, what yeah. was that like? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons that, that it was, it was bothering me so much was we, we weren't in a place where, especially in the summer and in, in the spring, we weren't in a place where we could have conversations with people. Um, we weren't seeing them face to face. And so when, when you would see them post, post something on Facebook or even, even in a conversation, we're not, we weren't rightfully so we weren't around people long enough to be able to talk about that. Um, and, and, Part, part of my, my job changes helped that along in some ways, you know, with, with the live stream where, you know, it's something that we had to do and something that we still have to do because we don't, we don't want many people to come and to gather because it, it's dangerous and it's, it's the Christian thing to do. I do believe that, but it's also uh, kind of hindered our relationship building and, and the way that we as the church and as pastors can uh, guide and theologically direct, you know, our churches, uh, because we do that one-on-one and it's tough. It's tough when you're not seeing anybody. Well, and I know that personal element has affected so much of both of your stories, especially with ordination considerations and, and significant shifts. Uh, Actually, Alicia, I think there's something specific in there that has defined your story this past year. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the church that you left? And I know some may jump to the assumption, oh, it's it's a uh, it, it's a uh, another church that is closed because of of coronavirus. That might not necessarily be the case, but uh, I'm curious to know more about what that story looked like in the midst of 2020. Yeah, um, folks who might remember me from our previous conversations would remember that I was pastoring a church in crisis. So um, there, we had been in the midst of significant um, crisis in terms of finances, attendance, future church viability. We'd been there for a long time and it was my work to really discern what the future of that church could be. So the truth is at the end of 2019, we discerned that the that this was the end of this church's life cycle. So we didn't close because of coronavirus, but in our discerning of how do we close this season well, how do we celebrate this long season of faithfulness? Because that church had been around for decades and decades, and we wanted to be able to, to close a season, have a sort of church funeral slash church graduation in a sense, right? To, to recognize the end of this life cycle. And so that was scheduled to be Easter of 2020 was supposed to be our last gathering to share stories of the community, to have some kind of like commemorative celebration to, cause that church had been built through the generous giving of faithful saints over decades. People had poured their heart, soul, blood, sweat, tears, and finances to a a church that had been doing faithful work in the community. And we wanted to be able to celebrate that well. But if you remember, coronavirus hit in mid-March. And and so like we, that effectively just wiped us out. So those those of you who've listened before would remember that my church community was in, um, 
like a vulnerable area. My most of my folks were elderly and um, and or unsheltered. Uh, so these these are the sort of folks who are rationing um, social security checks or disability checks, who had pay as you go flip phones, who maybe checked email once a week at the local library. Like we couldn't have been an online community even if we had the resources or desire or viability to, to do so. Like that just, it. so effectively um, early March was like our last gathering. Um, we knew that had been kind of coming for a while that we, we knew we were saying goodbye eventually in 2020, but uh, the, the pandemic shut down really just like unexpectedly wiped us out, if that makes sense. So even pre-pandemic 2020, political unrest, all that jazz, the trajectory of your church was was towards a closure. Yes. It, it sounds yeah, like that and, and that wasn't a secret. That was like that was pretty that was pretty clear from even I was appointed to serve a church in crisis and my from my first Sunday, January one of twenty eighteen, we knew that that closing the church could have been a very real possibility. So that's that's not like like a, a surprise in any kind of way. Um, but I can't help thinking things might have turned out differently, you know? So 2020 could have exacerbated an already struggling situation. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, the, the pandemic and 2020 life really robbed us from having like a, a healthy celebratory sort of closure. And instead our, our, our last Sunday was one that we didn't know was going to be our last Sunday. Does that make sense? We didn't we didn't get a chance sure. to have kind of final closure or celebration in any kind of way. It's you were almost prevented from being able in, to grieve. Yeah, in a sense. I, I think the 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 like medical terminology, I think, or medical images have been um, really prevalent in this season. It's like the the difference between like a sudden and unexpected death or versus like like a, a a like a chronic illness where you have time to make peace and put your affairs in order right like we'd been we'd been treating this like a chronic illness where we had time to put our affairs in order to say goodbye um to to have a yeah to have that sense of closure and then we were surprised by an unexpected death if that makes sense Absolutely. And Hunter, Claire, I mean, correct me if I get this wrong. While while you're closing a church and then maybe considering transitioning to a new one, Alicia, Hunter is in Arkansas trying to figure out what it looks like to just do his job. And to do his job, most things change. He's in the same context. But the the dilemma for Hunter is like, well, how do I continue to effectively do a job in the same spot I'm yeah. in? You, so is that fair to say, yeah, Hunter? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in the midst of that, though, Alicia, you're not just like, how do I continue pastoring a church that's in crisis? Now you're, you're shifting gears and considering, okay, well, how do I find an, another job as a pastor when people can't even meet in person? Totally. And, and again, since like, it, it wasn't a secret that the church was closing. This wasn't like behind closed doors meeting. This was very public. Everybody knew that this is where we were going. So I, I had begun looking for a new assignment in the beginning of 2020. Like um, I'd 
yeah, I'm a very organized, strategic sort of person. So I had lots of phone calls, been submitting resumes. I had interviews lined up, but then really quickly, almost all of those leads dried up overnight as people went into kind of lockdown mode into like, just like, we're just in survival mode, like no energy or capacity to be thinking about the future. Like when we're just trying to make it through a global pandemic. So thanks be to God, really the right church was clear from the beginning and they were really the only one that kind of stuck with me through that process. So I had several kind of irons in the fire, several leads to explore and almost all of them dried up really except for this one and so I was like well it seems like God's calling me there <laughs> like that seems like the the really clear choice but I mean we from our initial conversations we were scheduled to have like an in-person interview in March like our big kind of congregational vote situation so that got delayed I think at least like three times when we thought like oh this will just be like a quick two week blip on the map. And then it's like, no, we're going to be here for a while in quarantine mode. So we had to figure out how to, how to handle this church business of calling a new pastor and getting all of that sorted when we couldn't gather in our traditional ways or the ways that like our manual stipulates, we handle those kinds of businesses. So anyway, that, yeah, that was crazy trying to be flexible and, and adaptive, but again, thanks, thanks be to God, like the right thing kind of came together at the right time. And it was clear to all of us that this was going to be like the, the right step forward. So not that I advise making a transition in the midst of a pandemic, but it also like, like the way seemed clear to make that step forward. Were you able to eventually like get a lull in COVID numbers to get up there? Did you do it online? Like what was the interview process? Was it similar to what normal would be or was it completely different? Yeah. So the last, so the last week of May, um, there was like a lull enough in COVID numbers where I I was able to travel. Um, and we did, um, some, and then it was, it was warm enough that we like met outside kind of socially distanced for kind of conversations. And so, um, and then, and, and then I had like one-on-one chats with the congregation rather than like a whole big gathering, which is what you typically see in an interview process. But in that sense, I actually got like a much better sense of the congregation to have like some quality time with individuals rather than just like a meet and greet shaking everybody's hand. You know what I mean? So yeah, a kind of blessing of the weird adaptations. Despite all the weird, you get there and now you're not only tasked with interviewing, accepting a calling, being placed there. Now you're expected to pastor a church in one of the potentially most <laughs> difficult times you could imagine pastoring a church and you're doing it as a brand new pastor with a brand new congregation you don't even know what were the first couple months like oh my gosh yeah um there's there's a saying in like new pastoral work but it's also in the political world we talk about the first 100 days right that there's like that this this is the season where you you make your first impressions, you get to know the lay of the land, you start the the first 100 days in politics is really like, like, this is your window of opportunity to start passing the bills, like to start putting things in motion, like the, the legacy you're going to leave for your short term or whatever. In pastoral ministry, obviously, we hope that we have a much longer stint serving a congregation. So like, 
like there isn't that same kind of time crunch to get after some stuff but anyway transitioning in a pandemic time was like glacially slow in comparison to the kind of conventional wisdom that you hear um so I mean most of these first few months have just been like calling people trying to stay in touch um again like we're we've we've reached a sort of place of equilibrium with as we keep checking our county's requirements and our like local numbers of cases and our like individual kind of small communities exposure we've been able to meet socially distance with masks on Sundays but there's still lots of our elderly folks who are still like totally at home still get groceries delivered or being as careful as they possibly can so is there a percent a of mix. people is there a percent of people you just have not met in person yet yes yeah there are people who are like like saints of the church who like everyone remembers fondly I hear lots of stories about them but people who I've never met and the truth is like some of them I think about this one couple that's like in their early 90s and then there's this other couple in their like late 80s and they might never come back to church right like they've reached that point in in someone's life cycle where it just becomes increasingly difficult to like travel or get to get out of the house or they might be moving to stay with children who will care for them you know it's just like that point in people's lives and they might never be regular attenders at church which is so strange that they're like so much a part of the community and the cultural memory and the stories that they tell about who they are and I'll probably never meet them Hunter, do you have the opposite of that? Do you have people that are in your churches that basically have been those saints and now you're not sure they're going to come back and you have actually known them this whole time? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we have several people um, that I think have 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 gone to on, like participating online that that we may never see come back again. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I wouldn't say that any of them were would be. So so we, we've had we actually have the, the like the opposite of what Alicia was saying, uh, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of timid to even say this, but a lot, for, for us, a lot of the people that are coming on Sunday mornings are the ones that should be staying home, you know, they, they, and um, so we, we've really, that's why we've been extremely strict with the, with guidelines and with social distancing and things like that is because we know that um, they're, but they're also the ones, and, and we have to think about this, that, um, that live alone, and they are, they're desperate for interaction with others. And, um, you know, a few months was rough. A year is impossible. Um, and so that, that's one of the considerations that, that we've had. But so a lot of those saints that have built the church are here, not every Sunday, but uh, regularly. Um, but it's, it's kind of the, 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 newer, the newer families that we didn't, that we were getting to know um, that we're expecting to not, not see again. Um, and we were trying to reach out and stuff, but we didn't, we, we were just working on building those relationships when this happened. So it's funny you say that at our church. Uh, and I guess as a reminder to, to our listeners, I am a pastor at a church as well in Washington, um, Western Washington, our most immune compromised were the ones chomping at the bits to be in person as well. I mean, and that just yeah. created such a dilemma because they weren't supposed to be the ones coming, especially at the beginning. But recently, it's been really interesting because we provided a immune compromised elderly season saints only group, which is terrible. It, it, I mean, it, it feels wrong to to not let intergenerational interactions occur naturally. But 
you know, I, I just, I couldn't live with myself thinking that because my kid's mother is a nurse, they could potentially be the harbingers of death because they're such germ spreaders. Uh, but still that we had a group of folks meeting in the building still, it wasn't normal Sunday morning stuff by any stretch, but for, for that reason, because, you know, people need to have community. They recently, because our hospital has had such a struggle with coping with numbers from day to day, some days it's just regular. It's like, wow, we don't even have a pandemic. And other days my wife will be working like, where are all the nurses? We don't have enough nurses. We're, we're drowning here with, with all these COVID and, and then regular patients as well. Yeah. Uh, they've actually opted to, to stop meeting in person because now they're, they're seeing their own loved ones or they're seeing friends or family that have dealt with this and, it's just not worth the risk for them anymore. So even though we made space for that to happen, they opted to stop meeting for themselves. So I, I wonder that same thing. I, when does this stop? Is it with vaccines? Do we have to get that 85% uh, herd immunity vaccination thing? I, it's crazy to even consider. But uh, aside from the pastor specs, uh, the, the special considerations, I mean, it sounds to me that even though Hunter, you're in the same spot, your job couldn't be more different in some ways and uh, alicia you just you're in a completely different spot period what has it been to just be alicia in 2020 i mean i know you talked a little bit about about a little bit about um ordination and, and moving and all that stuff but just with all things considered isolation quarantine the political unrest social injustice just how has 2020 been in general is there like a highlight is there a particularly low low light what has it been to be Alicia in 2020? Yeah, man. So uh, I I was also like Hunter up for ordination this year, had completed all my education requirements and my hours of service, like interviews, all of that sort of stuff. And then we had to cancel our ordination ceremony um, that was supposed to be in May of 2021. So um, I, I had all of these sort of stars that were supposed to be aligning in 2020, um, where like I was closing one chapter, celebrating, saying goodbye to that place that had been my home for almost a decade. I think like nine and a half years was as long as I'd lived in the Bay and like ready to move on to the new thing. And I was going to throw a giant party, taco truck in the park, like like it was gonna be a celebration. Um, and I didn't even, I didn't, I hardly got to hug any of my people saying goodbye. Um, For the record, that's the best way to celebrate taco truck in the park. I just had to get that in there. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, duh. Do you know me at all? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. For our listeners who do not know me, tacos are my love language. So yeah, uh, so th- like, so that was, that was really hard. That was a, that was a bummer. So it wasn't just that like, I didn't get to, close this chapter of my ministry that I had so carefully and thoughtfully prepared for, but didn't get to celebrate my ordination. So I'm still technically in this funky limbo space where our assembly, our large regional voting body approved me for ordination, but we're still waiting for this like one final bit from our jurisdictional general superintendent. And so that fingers crossed if all goes well, will be May of 2021. But it's just like, yeah, so that's been a weird place to be kind of professionally. But yeah, uh, personally, that was really, really hard for me to not be able to have like a goodbye party for people who've been such an important part of my life for so long. And um, and then to move to a new city where I don't know anyone. And I can't like, just like sign up for a book club or like join a running club or like try to make friends, you know what I mean? Um, 
it's not that I don't have people who love me that I'm FaceTiming all the time, but like it's, I could probably count the number of people who I've like had a hug from on, yeah, it's probably fewer than 10 in the past year, which is nuts. Also for the record, I'm single, not married, no kids. So like, I generally really enjoy silence and solitude. I've spent so much of my life, too many hours to count in quiet libraries. That's a refuge and a, and a home for me, but good Lord have mercy. These days I'm dreaming of like, I want to be like in a crowded Vietnamese street market with like loud noise and smells like I just like, I'm so tired of being being by myself and I'm normally really content with my own company I'm a very independent person and have been for a long time but I'm like take me to some like crowded noisy street market like let me eat street food I like maybe want to go back to Disneyland which I like haven't been to since I was a kid because like who has time and space for the crowds but I'm like I want to be at a loud party where you have to like shout to make yourself heard over like all of the conversation like I just like please (laughs) I'm yeah which is so strange I like never thought I would say those things that's not really who I am at all um but it's just been (laughs) just to put it out there just as an offer, just in case, I mean, for what it's worth, once you're vaccinated, especially if you ever need us to drive a couple hours to drop off any number of children at your house, um, I'm just letting you know, you can have all the noise for as long as yeah, you would like for, I mean, however many noisemakers you want, you could take your pick one to four. It, right, the offer well, is so, there so that's what's you. so strange for me to say stuff like that. Cause I know there are people who, who have like had a year of no peace who have like had to lock themselves in the bathroom just to like have a space to breathe. And even then nothing. So it's. I'm literally locked in my bedroom away from children just to record this podcast. And so it's so interesting to hear the polar opposite experience. And I I wonder what that would be like to experience a year. Totally. totally. So it's, so all like all of that to say that like everyone is sorting through their own personal quarantine hell to be honest like the, like this yeah. is, this has <laughs> yeah, been absolutely. so so hard for so many people in so many unexpected ways and ways that we know right like we know that to be healthy humans and then to be like healthy effective ministers we need a balance of peace and quiet and solitude but then also deeply connected community and and in these seasons we feel like we're kind of locked in one extreme or the other where we can't really do any of those things well and it's like it's I think it's wearing all of us down for a variety Mm -hmm. of different reasons but yeah what about you Hunter what's your personal struggle difficult 2020 whether it's pandemic specific or not like what was what was the hardest part about 2020 for you yeah so man uh when I when I was talking about uh, the we the the remodel that we did in our church, uh, so while we weren't having in person services for two or three months, we were doing that, and that that was taking up, especially at the end when we had set a date like okay we want to be back in church on this date. We've got two weeks, and really we have four weeks of work, be- you know, to do before that's done. Man, and I was just especially those last few weeks, I was spending you know. 60, 65, 70 hours at church. I would basically, I'd get here at like nine, eight or nine in the morning and I would leave around midnight most days um, up until like the Saturday before. And, and of course there were people here, there was everybody here was helping too, but that was the life for all of us. And I, 
we, when we were done, we looked around and it's, I was awesome. We were really thankful that it all happened, but I just, I was so burnt out. Um, and going into the summer, man, I, I was, I was, I was tired and I was, uh, you know, along with having to learn all these new skills, which are fun, you know, I, I enjoy the, the video editing and things like that. And, and, and videography. And, and so it was fun to get into that, but I got to a place where I was just so burnt out. And finally I was able to find some sort of like a balance in my own kind of work life because that burnout came. Um, and I was like, I, I just, I, I've got to figure something out and I, or I just can't, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. I mean, it was, that was added to by all the other things, by the political um, perspectives and the political conversations and everything else. Um, but a, around October, um, I, I kind of hit a stride where I, I, I figured out how to, number one, how to separate uh, my, 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 my pastoral life and my personal life a little bit better during this pandemic because it was all up in the air. I, everything changed. And so I had a balance before, pretty good balance working. Well, when everything swapped, I had to, I had to reassess that. Um, and it took me a while to figure it out. And, but, and, but I, I'm still ho holding on and I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm sticking to it, to it pretty well. Uh, at the church, we're actually all working. We have four, four full-time and one part-time staff member, and we're all working from home because if one of us catches it, uh, we don't all want to be quarantined at the same time or all have it at the same time. Um, and so that's helped uh, to be able to have a kind of a, a disconnect and, and to be able to find that kind of life church balance. But also, um, you know, so that's kind of a down and a positive, but also, you know, I'm, I'm in school through all of that, working on my doctorate. And that's brought, well, a little bit of stress, of course, but also like an outlet that I can go to and just kind of, it's, I'm talking, I'm applying everything I'm learning to like my situations in church, you know, th through my writing and things like that. But it's, it's something that's separated and it kind of gives me a, a, a motivation to, to like to do something. And especially I'm kind of working on my dissertation now and, and I'm about to step into the research a little plug. If you get an email from Nazarene Research Services in the next couple of months, don't delete it. Click on it <laughs> and take the survey, please. It is super important to my dissertation. Um, but uh, so I've been doing that and I, I, I feel, and I've told you all this before, I think on one of our calls to the mentoring program, but I feel like a researcher too. And it's fun. You know, it's, it's diving into, you know, academic articles and, and writing and, you know, even, even performing my own study. Uh, and so that's, that's provided this, you know, a joy that's outside of both my job and my personal life too. Has it been all the more a struggle to work from home and, and strike that balance and the boundaries between school time, work time, just yeah. hunter time? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, what I found, <laughs> and this is so bad, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this for everybody here. But what I found like right when I was learning to strive was when I was working from home like that, it's hard to work. Like it's just, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to do anything church related at all when you're sitting in your living room and you've got the TV in front of you, you know, or everything else that you distract yourself with, you know, you come home and you distract yourself with the, you, with things or you kind of plug yourself into other roles. And when those are readily available, it's, it's hard to disconnect to that and actually get stuff done. Um, but I, I've been able to, you know, kind of separate a space. Like I know now if I'm going to be writing, I better be in my office and not sitting on the couch. Like I'm just not going to be able to get any writing done on the couch. Um, but I've been able to kind of navigate that. So. Alicia, 
are you mostly working from home or are you are you able to get into an office i know you're you're lead pastor the joke is always that's generous you're the only pastor so it's not like you're having to worry about yeah. quarantining from other pastoral staff so where is your work happening yeah um i'm at home most of the time but i am lucky that i have like a church a church office um and so similarly i have had to find like that that uh, designated workspace, even when it's at, at home. I, I did like, like segregate a little corner of my apartment for like tech free writing, like whipped out, um, there, I found this like stack of like yellow legal pads. There's like 50 of them (laughs) tucked away in a filing cabinet in the office. I was like, oh, great. Okay. So started like handwriting pencil and paper, like just to step away from my computer. So I'm not in front of a screen all the time. Um, cause it, it is, it's so distracting to pull out my phone and, and scroll social media. Or if I'm like, like supposed to be writing a sermon oh like let me just check email really quick like oh let me do that or whatever so it's so weird when when all of those boundaries are blurred to trying to find some even like artificial separation like it's not that like turning my chair around and writing on a piece of paper really like totally gets me away from the television that's like calling (laughs) my name but it is like like a like a habit or a pattern that is helping to create some some division in in my home life. I I do have like some office space at church, but that also lends itself. It's it's so easy to end up doing like super, I don't know. It's sort of church household chores. Like suddenly you're organizing a closet, or like or like I don't like somebody calls and needs a. I, who knows what you have to call a plumber there's like somebody there for the pest control or there's just like a million sort of business things but when I think about like focus or being in the zone um, I'm doing that best at home with some kind of parameters and so finding finding my way through that has been helpful yeah, so this is so off topic but um, one of the things that has become such a distraction to me and I'm going to sound like such an old man here it's, it's <laughs> please gonna sound be like, like an old man so this uh I mean, I got on TikTok a few weeks ago and I know I'm two years behind all the Gen Zers who have been on TikTok for two years already, but oh my gosh, I'll lose like three hours in, in TikTok, man. I just, just like, just scrolling through these one minute videos. Suddenly I've watched 40 of them and I've, I'm anyways. So I've had to limit my TikTok time on like, <laughs> okay. in uh, my wife's name is Melanie. Melanie, in 30 minutes, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But right now I just need to scroll through these stupid videos. <laughs> Just That's give me a- 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've also discovered the benefits of setting a timer. This is something my mother used to do when yes. like, with, with like a bunch of kids growing up. I was like, okay, I'm just going to set the timer for 20 minutes. And if I need to veg out for 20 minutes, great. Like when the timer will go off and that will remind me that there's something else to be doing or like vice versa. Like, okay, I can force myself to focus for 20 minutes. I could do anything for 20 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's... It's just like so, so strange. And I have so much compassion for folks who are trying to like work full time and parent full time slash homeschool children, like all in the same house. It's, it's nuts. It is nuts. I I will attest to that. It is nuts. (laughs) So, I mean, it's not all terrible. This will sound weird. Uh, I, I went through a period of burnout, um, 
but in that burnout season, I just stepped away from things for four weeks. And uh, one of the best things that happened to me. So I guess this is weirdly a, a bright spot for 2020. I'm curious if you guys had moments like this as well. Um, I just didn't have my phone on for basically four weeks. I would resurface once a week just to see if like family was texting or calling. Um, but they all knew that I was doing that. So if they really needed to get a hold of me, they could talk to my wife. But um, I just didn't go on a device for for almost literally four weeks straight. And once I came back and I, uh, it, it, the, the feeling was so weird. It did feel like resurfacing, but not in a super great way. You're underwater and you're holding your breath. Like, oh no, I need to get some air. It felt like the, I was able to breathe underwater better. So whatever that imagery looks like in your head. Um, yeah. Coming back though, I, I had to, and I still do to this day. I have screen time limitations on everything now. So like, it's, it's just a default timer on your phone and your settings. So all social media, no matter if it's TikTok or Facebook or whatever social media, it doesn't matter. Like I, I basically limit myself to a half an hour every day. That's yeah. it. Game over, man. So I actually have to sort of plan and not mindlessly go on social media. I have to actually plan that stuff. And I've seen a noticeable improvement in my overall mental health. But I'm curious, I mean, whether it's screen limits or whatever, has there been something good, a, a productive, a bright spot that you realized, oh, wow, 2020 really clarified that either I needed to address something or there was something really good that happened in the midst of that for either one of you? Yeah, I do. I do think that's become clear for me. I'm reading al alongside with some friends um, a book called Digital Minimalism that's like really helping me articulate like a thoughtful philosophy for how I want to engage screens and technology in, in a variety of ways. Um, I think ever since I was a college student, I regularly would like give up social media or whatever for Lent. And, but I would find myself in these cycles where I would have like super strict boundaries for a while where like you said, Josiah, you're totally off for a couple of weeks, but then you come back and stuff starts creeping in. If you don't, if you don't, you find yourself back in the same place you were, if you don't have like a uh, an intentional philosophy about it. So I've been doing a lot of that. But I think one of the things that's been really wonderful about 2020 is this ability to tune in digitally to events, concerts, lectures, church services, places I would never be able to attend um, in real in real life, like if I had to travel or pay the price of admission or whatever. Um, but I've been able to like explore a lot and have a lot of like really enriching like content, music, uh, interviews with authors I admire, like uh, being able to watch friends preach. Like I normally don't get, I have a lot of clergy friends, but because we have the same kind of gig that happens at the same time every week, it's not like I could show up for support or to listen and learn from them. But Or you can pulpit fill for your friends, even exactly. though you don't live anywhere near them. Right. That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that plug, Josiah. Um, yeah. Both of y'all did yeah. that for me. Thank yeah, you. Once so, again. so that's, that's been really fun. Um, it's also, it's also been fun for me, like in that space to think like, okay, who's making stuff that I really like and how do I support creators in a meaningful way? So I actually like became for the first time ever, like Patreon supporter of a couple of podcasts I really admire because I'm like, these folks bring me joy week after week. And they're like, like 
making really beautiful content, I can afford $3 a month or $5 a month to support their work, right? Um, and so, so that's been a like a source of really meaningful kind of digital connection to feel like I'm part of these digital communities. Um, so I don't, I don't want like to say like, oh, digital engagement is so terrible, so awful, because there's actually been some really like fruitful and beautiful stuff that's come from this season of online engagement. What about you, Hunter? Yeah, I would almost completely agree with what Alicia was saying, especially when she was talking about kind of those digital communities. Um, like for, for it, it just allows you a way to connect with so many different people around topics that that you enjoy. Like, you know, I think of uh, like, you know, Twitch and even Facebook has streaming services now um, where you can you can connect with so many different people around whether it's a, you know, most of it's for video games, but it's for other stuff as well, you know, like in real life stuff. And it's, it's so nice to be able to connect with, around things that, that you enjoy to do as well with other people. Um, but yeah, and I, I've loved uh, hearing, hearing my friends preach. And uh, that was something and, and preaching for uh, other friends like, like you just, Josiah, that was fun. Um, and, and we talked about for, you know, how many years about wanting to, to kind, of, kind of do that pulpit share a little bit. And, and this kind of helped make it possible. But for me as well, um, while I never really took like a digital break, like where I'm, I'm, I'm getting off social media, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting off all these other things. What I found, um, especially kind of in that period where I was, I was feeling burnout was I, I started learning, you know what, I don't have to respond to every text message within 15 seconds when I get it. You know, I, I used to be the guy and, you know, sometimes I still am, but, but I used to be the guy that if you texted me, I, I, I text you back in five seconds. If, if you emailed me, I, I, I was going to, I was going to email you back within an hour or I was not going to respond at all, you know, or I was mad at you basically. <laughs> but, but now like I, I, it's not that I'm filtering any of it, but I, I recognize that a text message does not always require immediate attention. Um, a phone call does not always require an answer right now. You can you can let that thing go to voicemail and and, and check. And if it's not an emergency, it can be dealt with tomorrow. Um, and and same with emails. Uh, email was really never set up for immediate response. It was a check when you have free time and then get back to me. Um, and I've started I've started treating like digital communications that way, um, where where. I, just because my phone vibrates doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, check and, and, you know, I'll look at it eventually and it'll probably be within an hour. Um, but I may forget to text somebody back because I picked it up. I saw it. I thought this is how I'm going to respond to them, but I'm picking up a pizza right now. <laughs> and like, I know like, Oh, it's so, it's so bad. I, I do that with even friends. I'll, I'll read the text and set it down. Josiah, I'm pretty sure I didn't text you back for four days. And it wasn't because I was ignoring you, but <laughs> I did call you back and say, well, thanks for ghosting me, Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, that's been a release for me to realize that, you know, it, not everything requires an immediate response. And, and um, you know what? Relationships aren't going to suffer because I, I left Josiah on red for, you know, two hours. <laughs> No, I got over it because I, I felt you. I mean, I, I do the same thing. I unintentionally ghost people yep, on, a, yep. on a regular basis, but half of that, I, I don't know, call it dad brain or post burnout brain or post grief yeah. brain. I don't really know what to call it. Yeah. All, all these things considered, there's so many, uh, so many wonderful ways we could wrap this discussion up. I'm curious though, and I, I would, I would believe that many are still speculating. Where do we go next with, with all these things considered in your personal life and your professional life? 
your churches that you're pastoring either as lead pastor or you're one of the associates, you all have some sort of say in the direction of where we're going next. There's this, there's maybe this thread of thinking that, that we're going to go right back to normal when all this is done. And what does it look like when all this is done? I, I don't know. What, what does all this is done mean? Does it mean a certain percent are, are vaccinated? Does that mean we all just get over how poorly we've treated one another? Does it mean we just kind of forget that 2020 and the beginning of 2021 happened? I, I don't know what all of this is over really looks like, because I think there's been such significant cultural shifts that, that it won't ever be the same ever again. But I'm curious because both of you have such unique contexts. Alicia, you're in a totally different location. Hunter, you're in the same spot, but you're not really doing exactly the same or even remotely close half the time to the same job you once did before Rona. But what does what does the job look like for you personally? But then thinking sort of down the road, how how is being a pastor potentially going to change? How does gathering as the church potentially change? What stays the same? What's going to look totally different down the road? What do you, what do you think, Hunter? What, what, what about your church? Even though you've, you've been there this whole time, stuff has changed maybe in some drastic ways. What does it look yeah. like down the road when we have whatever getting back to call it normal or new normal? What does that look right. like? Yeah. So, I mean, up until it almost felt like coming into 2021, um, it was time, it really was, and it was probably prolonged, but it was time to shift from COVID-19 survival to what are, what are we doing now? Like, okay, we, we, it's, it's been long enough. Like we've, we've, we've just hung on by a thread for this long. Now, what do we do? Um, and, and for me and for, for our church, I think that that means that we have to relearn how to disciple well. And the reason that I say that, I know it's such a, it's such a buzzword discipleship. It always has been. Um, and no one really super knows what it means, um, especially like laity, um, you know, our congregations. But what that means for me is so many, there's so many things that are reaching our congregations and are forming and shaping them um, right now. You know, whether it's politics, whether it's Facebook, whether it's QAnon, you know, all, all of these, all of these different forces are shaping our people for, for better and, but mostly for worse. And the church isn't, um, we, we, we just aren't, we aren't doing a very good job of it um, because we have just been really hanging on a thread for the last year or longer. Um, and this is a conversation that I've, I've been thinking about even before COVID-19, because I've, I've always said, and we've always had the same conversation, um, even, even on our, our, on our retreats that like, the church is finding themselves in this kind of exile position. Like we're, we're, we're kind of drifting into that. Um, And I, I believe, especially with, with COVID-19 and with the political, like the atmosphere that we've experienced over the last few years, that we've sped that up by 10 or 15 years um, of, of that kind of now we have to learn how to thrive in exile. And that's not a bad thing. The church has always done really well coming out of exile, like in exile. That's, that's always when we've been most true to, I think what Christ's vision was is when we were working out of, you know, outside of power. Um, And so I'm, I've always kind of not looked forward to that, but, but known that 
that will be the time when the church really will be most true to what it's supposed to be. And I think that we're finding ourselves uh, in that right now, in that right now is that we have an opportunity now to, to really reform and reshape our congregations and uh, through the, you know, through the help of the Holy Spirit um, to, to become what the church in Acts was, to become what that, that early, you know, first and second century churches were. Um, and, and now it, it's, it's not a fresh slate, but it, it, it kind of feels that way. Uh, it feels like we've hit a breaking point. Um, and, and I think that's okay. Uh, I, and I think that we can take this opportunity to, to say, okay, now how, how do we make sure, whether it's through the di- digital media, through, you know, it's, it's through whatever it is, how do we make sure that we are shaping our people or that God, the Holy Spirit is shaping our people more so than um, their political you know, they're the, the commentators on Fox News or on CNN. Um, you know, how, how do we make sure that, that we're the ones that are, in, we're engaging them in such a way to where, uh, you know, scripture is shaping, shaping those, those views rather than uh, political to commentators and other forces. If the, if the classic assumption, and I say classic, and maybe it's 50, 100 years of classic assumptions, is that the Sunday school or the sermon was the yes. discipling catalyst, yes. then then perhaps it hasn't been as effective as we once thought. Yeah. So what does the role of pastor look like if, if, if we're, as you said, taking the role of discipleship to be something more serious, it is it just on the pastor. Does the pastor need to spend more time delegating discipleship, modeling training? Like what is, what does the pastoral role in shift look like? And then in turn, how does that affect what we know to be status quo for church? Yeah. And, and I, I do want to say, and I'll, I'll end here, like this is, a, this is not a conversation that has just started this year. This is something that we've been talking about for a long time. And everybody listening to this is going to be like, well, no, duh. You know, we've known that was, it was coming for a long time. But now we've reached the point where it's now like, okay, time to quit thinking about it. Now it's time to really, really start doing it. You agree, Alicia? Is there some significant changes on the horizon? Yeah. Um, oh gosh. I mean, I, I have some hopes for, for church life, for what like the church capital C means and feels like in this coming season. Um, I think it's clear that we can no longer say, this is me taking a slice of humble pie, just for the record. Like we can no longer say that online church doesn't really count as church, right? Like we've, we've been forced to really re-examine how we're engaging like digital and mediated spaces. And at the same time, I hope it's making us hunger for more of the real thing, for the kind of quality of time that happens when we are together. There's like something, there's something mystical that happens that's just like not the same. Um, So while we can continue to use the digital tools that we have to be connected, to be discipling, to be teaching, to engage in conversation, to cultivate a, a network of connected folks, I do think that community happens when we're together. So I'm hoping that there's this like hunger for shared meals for like for, for the, the resurgence of church potlucks, for um, all of these things, I'm hoping that there's just like a hunger for this and that our church communities are beacons of hope and hospitality and that, yeah, that, that, that people are, are congregating in churches again because they're hungry for community. I hope that that's true. 
we'll we'll see when and how it's safe to do that kind of stuff again. But I I hope that that's where if we're eventually leaning as we start gathering again. I also think there are two things I I think are going to be important for pastors and leaders. One is that we need to have a trauma-informed approach. This year has been a significant trauma for so many people individually, but then also for us collectively. Like this, this so many people have been touched by death, by, by grief, by isolation and loneliness, by burnout. Like this, this is a traumatic season in, in our life and history. And and we have been in survival mode for a while, but like it's gonna be years before we know like the true psychological and spiritual impact that this season has had on our minds, our hearts, our communities. Like, so we need to be able to preach and teach and lead with an understanding for the effects of trauma. I think like collectively our whole world will be struggling with PTSD, so to speak. Um, after the season and pastors and leaders need to be people of peace, people of reconciliation, people of healing and hope in that time. We can't just say like, oh, let's get back to normal because there, there isn't a normal anymore. There, there is a before and there is an after, but there's no getting back like that. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, and then I like sort of secondly from that, I think that the that the pastors and leaders are going to have to abandon so many of our traditional images for what a leader is and means. Like so many of our images for pastoral leadership come around toward like shepherd or I don't know, um, like the sort of visionary innovative leader who knows what we're doing and has a plan like listen plans are out the window that's just like not gonna happen i and i think the biblical image that we can draw from as pastors and leaders is that of a midwife so paying attention to signs of life of health uh, as signs of distress um and trouble uh where you can you can prepare as much as you can. You can learn as much as you can, but then like when it's time to change, it's time to change. And all, and all you can do is sort of pay attention to this new thing that's being born and, and attentively um, guide that new thing. Like let it come in its own time. Um, I, and, and I think the, the time has come to put to rest this like, I don't like, visionary fearless innovative leader who looks like a ceo like that's just that was never healthy never helpful that might be really harsh i might get some angry emails about that but like on honestly i think it's time to put that to rest if 2020 has taught us anything it's that like so many of our plans had to be tossed out the window so we need to have this humility and openness and flexibility for what's coming and to say like how, how do we lead when we don't know where we're going? I mean, we lead with presence, we lead with compassion, we pay attention and do the next right thing in love. Like that's it, that's all we can do. I, I love that, Alicia. Uh, and I think, I mean, I, I could not agree more. I, I think the, the, the personality driven pastor leadership model um, should have been out the window before it even started. Um, but it's been so much a part of who the church in America is and it's, it's gross. I mean, it's, it, it really is. It's gross. And I, I hope it's done. I hope it never comes back.
Yeah, I'll just pile in there so I can get angry emails as well. I, I fully and completely agree. <laughs> There's two, I mean, and, and I've to, to make it personal, I felt the pressure to be that, you know, as a, as a, as a single pastor who, you know, that's the, that's the hopeful mold that you will one day fit into because of X, Y, and like, yeah, but I, I don't want that. That's not life-giving. That's not constructive. Absolutely. That's not helpful because then everything becomes a, well, it's the Josiah show instead of, well, I'm pretty sure we're here for Jesus though. Right. Like, isn't that what we're actually, I thought that's what we were here for. And the same goes for all the political nonsense. I made a joke in a sermon and, and people didn't find it as funny as I did. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're known for following Jesus, not how much we hate Donald Trump or how much we love Donald Trump. Pretty sure Donald Trump wasn't mentioned whatsoever in the Gospels, and it's actually about Jesus. And now the same could be said about Biden or whoever is president in this country or in whatever country in the world that you live in. Like that, that, that doesn't actually matter to the message of the gospel. But in light of all this, I just, I hear a common thread that I find refreshing, but it's also, it's work to be done for, for folk like us. I think classically, the church is not terribly flexible, right? And I think classically, we love to make like an archetype, like a, a mold that everything fits in, every church fits in, every pastor fits in, every, so for me, it's this refreshing thing. And, and it might sound scary, to some folks. So I don't know as pastorally as you would, what, what is it about that, that you think gives hope that what, what sort of encouragement would you leave? What, what sort of opportunities are presenting us if we're boldly going to continue to take steps into the future? That might mean we have to leave things behind. I mean, it doesn't sound to me that any of y'all are afraid of that, but what would you say to, to those that maybe are apprehensive because they loved so much what once was, and now they have to perhaps grieve that loss because Maybe some churches will look pretty similar to pre-2020, but others will look completely different. So change is scary. What, what do you say to those that are scared? What do you say, what words of encouragement do you give to those that are apprehensive about what tomorrow may bring? I know it's a big ask. <laughs> yeah, um, I, would, I would point to the words of um, Thomas Merton's welcoming prayer that we welcome every experience or the the principle and foundation of saint ignatius's spiritual exercises say that everything has the potential to draw forth a closer intimacy with god everything everything we experience has the potential to draw us deeper into union with god so like it might be scary, but it has the potential to draw you closer into union with God. Or as we welcome these experiences, we find that we are more resilient, that the spirit knows things that we do not. Like, I, I don't think any, the, the text for the lectionary this week is about Jesus calling the disciples. I don't think any of them had any sense of what they were saying yes to when they said yes to follow Jesus. Um, I, I don't think they had any sense of what what Jesus's mission was really about as he like makes his way to the cross. I mean, in fact, several of our like recorded interactions between Jesus and the disciples show that they like actually really had no idea. They didn't get it over and over and over again. And then post 
crucifixion and post-resurrection, I don't think they had any idea that the spirit was going to move in the way that that we have in the stories of of Acts and um, and a new community being born. I guess I would just remind people who are scared that our God is a God who brings order out of chaos, from the spirit ho hovering over the face of the waters and the beginning of creation, to the formation of God's people, to the formation of the church in ancient times, to the formation of the church now. It's still God's church. It's never been my church. I might be forgotten and no one might ever remember my name or anything I contributed. And that is just fine because the church was never about me. Like it's, it's so much more than that. And the spirit is doing what the spirit will do. And I hope I'm, I'm attentive enough to listen to her and to follow with wisdom. Like that's, that's, that's the call. That's the work. What about you, Hunter? Drop, drop some pastor knowledge. That was, that was good, Alicia. Yeah, so no pressure good. or anything. I got a yeah. little preachy. Oh, I'm not <laughs> sorry. A little bit preachy. Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Um, I, you know, I, as I'm thinking of, of 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 that of those people who who are kind of timid about about what comes next, you know, and they've really enjoyed how church has been over the last, you know, 50, 50 years or through the revivalist movement and all that. Um, is you know, while we may be coming into a new moment, and and Alicia hit on this, you know. Our, our role as the people of God and, and our role in our faithfulness hasn't changed at all. Um, who the church has always supposed to have been, who, who they've supposed to have been, uh, hasn't changed. Um, now, I think what we need to realize, and, and this, this may be difficult for people, is that who the church is right now and who it's been over the last hundred years or so, maybe, maybe that hasn't been who we were supposed to be. Um, and, and I, I hit on that, you know, a, a little bit when I was talking earlier, but, um, so, so when you talk about the faithfulness of, of the people of God, that's still our role. You know, you can look in, in through the old Testament to the, to the Israelites and, and to the, uh, to the early church, the examples that we have through, through the new Testament and see that that was always something that they struggled with. We are not the, we're not the first time that the people of God have struggled with their identity and, and who they're supposed to be. Um, this, this isn't the first time it's happened. And I think there's comfort in that. And, and always, um, God has always led the church, you know, God always has, and God always will. And I, I think that there's comfort in that, you know, it, it may change a little bit, but change is not always a bad thing. And I know everyone who doesn't like change rolls their eyes when they hear that. Um, but we can continue, we continue to be faithful. And as pastors, um, Every pastor that I know, their entire being and their entire heart is that they will remain faithful. It's at least the good ones. <laughs> Let me put it that way. And um, and and it, it's not that every good pastor that I know, their their heart isn't in you know I I want to be that televangelist. Their heart isn't in um, that I I want to be. Uh, a big name. I want to be remembered. I want to be the Brazil or the, the, the Wesleys. Um, their heart is in, man, I just, I just, I just don't want to screw it up. Like that's, 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 that's my feeling is I, I want to remain faithful to God. And I, I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to mess things up. I don't want to get in the way. And uh, I think if people know that they're, that's where their pastor's heart is, they can have some comfort in what comes next. 
Love it. Oh, my own pastoral two cents. Uh, I can't compete. But again, it's not about like the Josiah legacy versus the Hunter or Alicia legacy. So there's, there's a scripture that I'm continuously drawn to, because I think Paul seemed to know a thing or two. But it's in Romans 12, it's the beginning, and it's just the first couple verses. Um, and it's essentially the it's pretty well known. It's brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Some translations say this is your act of worship. Um, so depending on your translation, it could say a couple different things. But I've always taken that verse uh, to mean a couple things. It just seems to me that we've had a narrow view for a long time of what it looks like to worship what it looks like to disciple, what it looks like to be priestly or whatever you want to call that. And this one verse, uh, and it continues on. It's like, don't, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. It's like, oh, snap. Okay, cool. And then after that, he immediately jumps into others. I was like, oh, and don't think too highly about yourself either. And he just keeps hammering on and on and on in this chapter. And then, of course, he gets into the more famous chapter that everyone's arguing about in Romans 13 about government and all that stuff. But it's kind of a, an encouraging but also sobering reminder of, just what we do with our lives is, is worship because what Jesus came and established was the church within us. When we gather together, we are the church. So the church is where we are. It is doing what we're doing. And it's, it's a humbling and encouraging reminder because there's a responsibility with that. We don't get to just compartmentalize church in two hour packages on Sunday mornings in a building. If we're honest to our calling, we're the sent people of God. So we bring church with us everywhere we go. So in that way, that's my encouragement. That's what encourages me. I'm not so sure how much it encourages other folks, but 2021 could be a remarkable year for the church if we really, if we really internalize that calling and realized, oh, snap, we, we don't have to limit and define it in such small and narrow uh, framework anymore. We could actually take seriously some of the stuff that, that Jesus says, that Paul says, that we could put into practice some of the things that, that we say we believe, even if it's a little different even if it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but that's my encouragement. Um, that's where, that's where I land with some of these things. And I, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to stay in, in step with what you guys are talking about. Just welcome and receive and, and be open with whatever's next, whatever comes down the road. Yeah. With the, with the very last breath I have, I will keep saying the words that Jesus said as he traveled, the kingdom of heaven is here and now, and it's for you repent and believe the good news. Like that is never, that's never going to change. Like the kingdom of heaven is here and now, and it's for you. So repent and believe, change your mind, change your heart, change your direction. That's what repent means. Like this is, this is the work that we've been called into and the work of the spirit is is going to carry on with or without me i mean for some unfathomable reason god seems like committed to partnering with human beings to do this work and like hunter said i just don't want to mess it up i want to keep <laughs> i just want to keep saying yes to jesus as 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 often as i'm given the opportunity and i want to keep inviting people to do that and and who knows what that's going to look like in these in these coming seasons, but I can keep saying yes to Jesus and I can take the next right step in love. And that's, that's it. That like, those are the things that I can do. Um, and so I'll try to do those as faithfully as I know how. Hunter, yeah, that's good. Hunter, any, no, uh, anything else to add there? Now, yeah, just, just, uh, finally, just to kind of play off that, you know, that, and, and you said this, Alicia, that's, 
that's not a, that calling repent and believe is not a one-time thing like it's mm-hmm. and, and and you know we can get into our sanctification messages Nazarenes if we want to here but it's a continue <laughs> it's a continual thing you know we have to repent continually and continue to believe and yeah that, that was the one thing I was thinking while you and, and you said it very well it's it's not something that it's it's something that we always live into yeah perhaps, perhaps but, we could say that the most important things will not change and things that we thought were more important than they really were they may they may go by the wayside and that's okay yeah yep Yep. And may we handle it all with grace yes. and praying for grace upon grace to, to do the work that God has given us to do. Yes. Was it, was it Augustine that first coined the phrase that we still talk about in, in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and in all things charity. I don't know if it was necessarily Augustine or. Who... I think it's a, it's attributed to so many people. I feel like yeah, it's, right. even a, <laughs> it's even been attributed to good old Wesley. I'm yeah. not sure who, who actually said it, or if it's just like, even uh, like a mosaic of several right. things, but. Josiah just said it. So we're a little attributed <laughs> to Josiah. <laughs> I'm don't, just kidding. don't do that. They won't take it as seriously. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but I think it's a good way to, to put things into perspective moving forward. There's some things that are really important that we need to hold to. There's some things that we can have differences of opinions or different tacks that we take on, but in all things we need to maybe just, I don't know, not be jerks. Maybe we could be a little bit nicer to one another. What an idea. (laughs) What idea. Well, man, this has been a a great time. I've enjoyed this Hunter, Alicia. I don't know if it was as fun for you as it was for me, but this, this was just great. So I really appreciate the time. Totally. It's been a joy. It's, I love being able to geek out about church stuff and, um, and to get excited about a new frontier in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I appreciate the invite, Josiah. I I, I love having these, you know, I have pastors around that we can, I can have conversations about this, but to have it with someone on the, yeah, the West coast is always fun. Yeah. It's remarkable to have the technology available to do these sorts of things. And I'm stealing, I'm stealing a Saturday, an hour and a half from your Saturday when tomorrow, <laughs> both of you are preaching and I am not. So I'm, I, I feel a little bit bad for stealing your time, but once again, I greatly appreciate the time. Thank you so much for spending this moment with me. Uh, it, and I forgot to say this at the front end, I will put in the description links to their previous season's interviews so you can go back and you can listen to their stories if you're curious about what we once talked about with them so so long ago when we were all so naive about what was coming around the corner and you can hear how much fun we had having jokes about uh, avocados and coffee but hearing still the same heart that they both had about their desire to serve well to be who God has called them to be. With all that said, I think that'll be it for our show today. This is our first official COVID conversation. What do you guys think? COVID conversation? Rona rant? Like what? You have a better idea for a name than that? On the record, I don't like the Rona nickname. I'll say it. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm not it. Mostly because I knew a sweet woman in in our neighborhood. She she was a really wonderful neighbor, and her name was Rona. And oh, I I and and I want I want to keep that memory of her. I don't like the like yeah. Rona short for Corona. <laughs> yeah, it's better than what people I like. Used to call I it. like. What what was that, Hunter? Yeah. Sorry. I like COVID conversations. That's that's I like that one. <laughs> So that's better until we come up with it, unless there is nothing better than that. I mean, 
I did have someone suggest because this is what they were calling it around here at first. They're calling it the beer flu. So I didn't think that, that was necessarily the best description. So we'll we'll stick with COVID conversations. I appreciate the feedback. I now feel bad for saying Rona so many times. So I'm going to try to <laughs> check that and realize that people are named Rona and I could be taking away from beloved memories. But uh, episode episode one in the books, COVID conversations. Hunter, Alicia, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. You can find their episodes previously that we've recorded in the description. Please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, doing all those fun things. But if you're interested in hearing more, then stay tuned for the next COVID conversation, whether it's with a, a returning guest or a new pastor, we're going to dive deeper into these issues. We're going to talk about the same sort of questions we talked about with Hunter Alicia. So if you're interested in those conversations with young millennial pastors about where their faith intercedes culture and how they live their lives in a post COVID world, then please stay tuned until next time. I'm your host, Josiah, and this has been the millennial pastor podcast. <laughs>